Welcome to Homefront on Missouri Grassroots Radio. I'm Cynthia Davis, your host. As a writer, speaker, and former legislator, we discuss limiting government, fiscal responsibility, and fair taxation. I'm a mother of seven and a wife of one for over three decades, so I bring you my personal experience. And now it's time for Homefront with Cynthia Davis. It is another happy edition of Homefront. I thank all of you for coming and joining us once again tonight. We are having a very special guest. Years ago, when I spent eight years in the Missouri House, I wondered who would possibly replace me when my term is over. And to my pleasant surprise, somebody of a quality similar to mine emerged. And when Kurt Barr won the election, I was so relieved because you never know. I mean, I it's not like I had to keep it forever. It's just that I didn't want it to go to somebody who was less sharing of our values. And when I first got elected to the Missouri House, I replaced a woman who was not pro-life. And the worst part is on top of her not be, being pro-life with me is her her name was Cindy. <laughs> now, people who really know me know I'm Cynthia, and part of why I keep that distinction, Cynthia, is because when people would get confused, they thought that Cindy uh, Ostman, the woman I replaced, they knew she wasn't pro-life. So it's a huge thrill tonight to introduce my listeners to my own replacement, Kurt Barr. Kurt, thank you for joining us tonight. Well, thank you for having me, Cynthia. We are thrilled. Kurt, I'm not expecting you to sit in the same seat that I had in the chamber, but or have my same office, although I would have liked to. Well, you actually had a better seat in a better office, so I wish I could. (laughs) We did. We had a great time. And so what makes it special is knowing that we passed the torch to somebody who is cut out of the same cloth, that it's really very hard to get principled legislators in office. And a lot of people who think term limits are a good idea are just focusing on trying to get rid of the people they don't like. They're not realizing that it sweeps out the good and bad together. And sometimes you have a good person be replaced by a bad person. But I'm really happy you're here. And and now you've done this for three terms. I'm sorry, three years, three sessions, I'll say. Not quite. It's been two and a half years. And now that you've spent two and a half years trying to um, be there in Jefferson City, what has been the biggest surprise that you've faced well, you served with a uh, Democrat by the name of Jeanette Maddoxford, correct? I sure um, did. She was perhaps one of the most far-left Democrats when I first got there. And honestly, the thing that surprised me the most is how she and I would vote the same way on a number of bills, which I've figured since I'm pretty far on the right hand of the spectrum and she's pretty far on the left hand of the spectrum, that we would never vote the same way. But I was shocked at how there was a number of votes that were the same. Now, I, you know, talked to her about it, and I realized that, you know, usually it was because I thought government was doing too much, and she thought government was doing too little. So we voted, usually it was voting no on, you know, for the same reasons, but, you know, or, you know, we voted no, we had the same vote, but for completely different reasons for, for casting the vote. But that was, it was my first shock was how, uh, you know, somebody who's so far, on the opposite side of the political spectrum, was voting the same way I was, was my first big shock. My you know, second I big had shock that... was, my second big shock was how there were a number of Republicans or people who I thought were relatively conservative that on some issues I agreed with wholeheartedly, but on other issues uh, I couldn't have been further in opposition of. And, you know, that also threw me for a loop how, you know, how on any issue you can – you know, people can be either uh, closely aligned or, or far apart, and that there's, you know, no two people ever agree on any one issue. 
And, you know, it really doesn't even matter why a legislator votes yes or no, because when they're in the chamber and they ring the bell and open the board, the most dangerous position for our freedoms, our liberties, and our values is how they vote. Is it a yes or a no? Do we really care why? No. No, because when they count the votes, if it's 82 yes, it will pass. If it's 82 no, it will fail. Nothing else matters. Our liberty is in jeopardy when they do ring the bell and open the board, but it doesn't really make a bit of difference. People vote for a variety of reasons. And for our listeners who don't know the makeup of the legislature, Jeanette Ma Oxford is the first openly lesbian House member in the Missouri House. And so there were quite a few places where we didn't have a lot in common. But yet she also was with us on the midwifery bill, and that surprised me as well. There's some ultra-feminists who are way to the left of the spectrum who are in favor of midwifery just because they think that the same reason they're in favor of abortion, it's nobody's business. <laughs> so anyway, it was interesting. And at times like these, we need to take a vote for whatever reason. A yes is a yes. A no is a no. The rest doesn't matter. It is not recorded how you voted. So let me ask you, though, even though you did already serve for two years after I left the House, this is the first session where you had a super majority that you served with, meaning they could veto-proof. And the, it suddenly turned the legislature into the 900-pound gorilla that could strut around and do anything and not worry about the governor's veto. How has being in a super majority changed the way the dynamics work? Um in a way, it's put more pressure on the caucus and leadership within the caucus to achieve something. But in reality, having 109 members means you have a group large enough that not everybody agrees. So we have never had unity on any one issue. We have uh, you know veto session coming up next next month. And, you know, there's still a question of whether or not uh, we'll be able to override some of these vetoes on bills that passed overwhelmingly because there are a handful of people, uh, and it, the, the handful of people changes thing on the bill that are squirmish about overriding a veto. And so just because we have 109 registered Republicans serving in the House doesn't mean we have 109 uh, true conservatives who are willing to, you know, to die on the hill of uh, freedom and liberty. Yeah, that hill's a big one, too. Even when I was there, though, there were only 90 representatives who were Republicans, and yet, of the 90, you really could only count on maybe 30 or 40 to be strong, convicted, principled Republicans. So... The, the type of people that we are made of, the stock we come from, is still a minority and will always be. The question is, can we get leadership that is also principled and not bought by the lobbyist? So are you happy with now that you've got new leadership this session versus last session? Are you pleased with the direction that they're headed, making the, head, taking the caucus? Well, nobody is perfect, and so there's, I could nitpick on some of the bills that leadership has proposed, and I disagree with leadership on some issues, but I am happy with uh, the people that we have in leadership. I think Tim Jones has done a good job as speaker. I think he's very fair with the caucus, making sure that uh, the different caucus members' priorities are um, you know, brought to the floor and, and given a chance to, to have a vote. Um, and so, and then we had Jason Smith, who's now Congressman Smith, as our Speaker Pro Tem, and so we only had him for a short period of time. So, uh, obviously, we'll have to replace him uh, the beginning of next session and have a, a new Speaker Pro Tem in the in the House. So we're we're shy our, our number two guy, um, and so we we have we have some decent leadership. Um, 
is is it perfect? It, will any group of people ever be perfect? Um, you know, no, it's not perfect, but it's it's good. Now, each member within leadership, they have their own priorities. So we all come into the the we all run for office for certain reasons, whether those would be economic, social, education, or whatnot. And so they certainly want to push their you know their passions, their agendas, the reason they they ran for office to begin with. But they also in a position where they have to serve the body. And so they have to uh, push the agendas and the desires of the caucus as a whole as well. And so you have, uh, you know, the people in leadership playing the game of, of how much do they push for their personal agenda and how much do they push for the agenda of the caucus uh, in a servant leadership role. And I think that leadership is doing a decent job in that. Uh, I wish they would push a little harder on some of my issues, but, you know, I can't really complain. Just to help our listeners know how important that number two role is, the what what Kurt's referring to is that people that's the person who's leading the chamber from the rear gets to pick what bills come up, what order they come up in, how much time is allocated for different bills, and there's a great deal of arm twisting that can happen to make bills come forth, and it always seems to puzzle the people who are watching from the gallery, well, why'd they go to that bill? Just because a bill is on the list of bills that will come up doesn't mean anything. They can skip right past a certain bill if they want to, and they can suddenly go to a special bill for a number of reasons, and it always was mysterious what the rhyme and reason is, and some things we'll know, and other things are just going to be permanently maintained as the secrets of the house. So what have you accomplished so far in the three sessions that you've been in the Missouri House? Well, I haven't actually got any bills passed, and that's usually what people mean by accomplishments. Um, and so I can't claim a bill on the wall as a as accomplishment. But I have been able to uh, help kill a number of bad amendments in in a committee, which I think was an accomplishment in of itself that you know nobody will ever see. But you know the fact that the the House as a whole didn't have to deal with some uh, I guess more liberal uh, policies that are coming out, specifically the Children and Families Committee, is uh, is beneficial. Um, also, you know. Within politics, it's all about relationships among among the different people within the caucus, within the House. Uh, and so I've accomplished a, a good rapport, a, a certain amount of, of uh, trust and respect with my colleagues. And so when I go and say, hey, this is my concern, this is my issue, do I think on a bill, I think I've accomplished at least uh, enough uh, respect and credibility that they'll listen to what I have to say on, on a particular issue, whether or not – you know, my argument's enough to sway them my way, I, you know, can't say. But I think that, you know, having the respect of your colleagues so that they are willing to listen to your arguments is certainly an accomplishment. Um, so give us some stories. I want to hear what, what did you kill and what did you save? Um, well, there was an amendment uh, of dealing with the issue of, Abortion or, or or pro-choice dealing with the uh, um, the, the Plan B pill. Uh, actually, again, it was Jeanette Maud Oxford uh, last year while she was still in the House uh, wanted to do an amendment to uh, make that uh, the medication um, more prevalent. But it has the side effect of being a, a abortifacient, and I simply wasn't. She was trying to you know loosen the restrictions on it. Uh, it wasn't a, you know, it was, it was a, you know, one of those small steps of that uh, that the you know, that liberals typically take to to continue to move the ball forward in their direction, and it was a small enough step. It was easy to say, okay, well, that's not that bad of a policy, but it was going in the wrong direction, and I was the one who, you know, stood strong against her amendment and gave cover to the others who wanted to vote against it but were afraid that it was, uh, you know, they were going to look bad if they did. And so, uh, you know, that was one small thing that uh, I was able to do in the Children and Families Committee uh, to, you know, help 
you know, protect, you know, a small encroachment on our on protections of, of life in the state of Missouri. Okay, so since the Democrats are in the minority and the Republicans are in the majority, why would any Republican be scared of a bad amendment possibly passing proposed by a minority member? Because we as Republicans tend to like to play nice and we like to uh, give the minority their you know, give them at least some accomplishments as a, and not be seen as a dictatorial power who's exerting their will and influence without care of the others. And so the, you know, the party likes to, you know, in essence, be soft and, you know, give the Democrats what they want. Um, also, to that, my last word was the ranking minority leader, on the committee, it was her last year, and that was she was making the the appeal that it's a small thing. It's my last year, uh, you know. I've been pushing for it for a long time, and so there was the 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 pressure, the peer pressure, if you will, of being nice and letting her have this this small concession. Hmm. Yep, that's been the ruination of America. <laughs> We elect people hoping they'll go up there and do the right thing, and then they're worried about how many people like them. <laughs> okay, thank you for helping us understand. That's the beauty of this show. We're here to help people understand, and that I felt that, too, for eight years. But there was a point when I had to make a decision, who am I going to take care of? And I always sided with taking care of the Constitution, my constituents, and pleasing God. And it helped me sleep good at night. There were some times when we had tough decisions to make, and they were only tough in the early years because I was trying to make everybody happy. And once I got past that and said, no, it's okay, I'll just do the right thing, and if they don't like me, that's okay, at least I'll be rewarded in heaven. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I've not gone through anything as bad as being nailed to a cross and have a spear go through my side, being whipped and put in chains in prison. None of that. We've got life pretty easy. And so I guess we all come to a point when it's time to make those decisions. So let me ask you, we do tend to worship the elected officials and people get elected and then they become sort of like the American idol, and why do you think people fall victim to this idol worship where we get these people in office who can do no wrong? Well, there's there's a number of different factors, and this is something I did find interesting when I first got into office. Uh, you know, when I came in, I had a friend who's a state rep who uh, left the same year you did, and he was quite distraught of how many people, uh, you know, didn't return his phone calls as soon as he was no longer elected official. Um, he, you know, there was the, there was the, you know, there, there's when you're there, when you're the representative, it, there's people whose job it is to make friends with you, to build a relationship with you, to get you to listen to them and, and hear their side of whatever bill it is that they're advocating for. And once you're no longer a rep, then it's no longer their job to uh, be friends with you. And, you know, some people actually think that these people really are your your good, dear friends. And so when you realize that, no, it's just their job to be friendly, um, it, it can be pretty hard. But you also, you know, when the, while they're in Death City, you have uh, so much, information bombarding you, so many people coming to talk to you, and then you have, uh, you know, so many negative interactions with people. You have a lot of uh, voters who are upset by some bill or another, and you get a lot of uh, negative feedback. Typically, if people like what you're doing, they don't bother to tell you thank you, but sure enough, if they don't like what, you, what you're doing, they're certainly uh, quick to let you know about that. So whenever you have a few people telling you, hey, you're doing a great job, you, as a as a person, cling to that positive affirmation. And so you get 
to where you go to different events, you go to different uh, places, and you're treated special, treated with honor, which is a certain amount of honor to the to the job. But you know, you get you're given you know, more special treatment than the average citizen is given, and so you get to feel that yes, I am special, I am uh, this great person, and it's easy to fall prey to that flattery. You're right, and I figured that out early on that when I left office, there'd be no more football tickets or no more basketball tickets or any of the baseball tickets, all that ended. But it didn't bother me because I always saw that they were giving those tickets or the dinner went to the district. It wasn't about me. It was the representative from District 19. So it's a matter of keeping that one straight. But let's talk about some of the highlights that happened this year. And one question I had, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch put a picture of the last day of session where all the legislators were throwing paper in the air. Can you explain to me, when I was, the last year I was there was when they were going paperless, and I assumed that that was the new trend, that you're supposed to read the amendment on your laptop. So where did all this paper come from? We actually have to save it. Uh, I actually just find uh, old old bills that have been printed up. I keep a little copy or a little stack underneath my desk, and I save it for the last day. There's still you – know, so some of, some people do like I do, and we just make sure by the last day we have a stack of paper because you're right, it is paperless. There's very little paper on the phone anymore. <laughs> Other people are still old school. They print everything off. They want to be able to look at a piece of paper. They want to be able to write notes in the margins. And so there are still people who go around with big three-ring binders of all the bills and all the committee information. I go around with my iPad. The only thing I carry is my iPad. I, you know, We have Wi-Fi throughout the building, and so I can go and I can look everything up online. I don't print anything off. Huh. Um, so I remember... Yeah, well, that's yes. smart because we would when when we were there, the rules were that every member of the chamber gets a copy of each amendment on the desk, and mm-hmm. then as the years went on, we got there. Well, the last year we were allowed to put a note that said we don't need copies, but it was ridiculous if you didn't clean off your desk frequently the pages would just keep dropping more and more pages and my first session there I had a baby who was on the floor with me at the last day of session and the gentleman next to me said you better move out of the way so the baby doesn't get hurt (laughs) and it was very interesting very fun um, we all did what we had to do, but unfortunately nobody got hurt, but it is a tradition. So what bills, I'm, I have a list here of some of the bills that the governor has vetoed. Can you tell me, is there anything that the governor's done that's been a good veto that actually was you're relieved that he vetoed because it was unconstitutional? Um. I am not entirely sure. I think most of the bad bills got killed before we sent them to the governor. Now, I know that you know the governor's made claims that some of the legislation we wrote was uh, weak. Um, a couple of the bills that he vetoed were duplicative, where we passed the same bill a couple different times, and so he said, hey, I vetoed this one because I signed the other one. And so, you know, there's a few like that that I would say, those are probably decent vetoes simply because... Um, you know, we don't need duplicative language on the books. Um, but, you know, most of the bills that are, that are vetoed, uh, I would say, you know, were, were decent bills that, you know, didn't necessarily need to be vetoed. Obviously, the, the big ones would be uh, the, the um, Firearm Freedom Act, House Bill 436, or the Second Amendment Preservation Act is what it's titled, and then uh, House Bill 253, which is our, our tax cut bill. You know, those two were, were, were great bills for, for liberty, freedom, and uh, 
um, you know, lower taxation, and he vetoed both of those bills, claiming that they'd be harmful to the state when, you know, the exact opposite is true. So I would say in, in those cases, those, these were two significant pieces of the legislation that were key, were hot issues throughout the legislative year that, uh, you know, a lot of uh, emails and, and committee hearings and, and debate were held on, and they were worked and reworked and refined, and I think they're both very good piece of legislation that I'm hoping that come September 11th uh, veto session, we're able to uh, overturn the, uh, the governor's veto on. Well, that sounds good. We're going to take a little break real quick, and we'll be back in a minute. Hi, friends. Do you like what you're hearing? Then go to my website. It's CynthiaDavis.net and sign up for my newsletter. You'll get all this information and more when you sign up for my email reminding you of when you'll hear another podcast and letting you know what's coming up next. Besides, we always have a little bit of humor at the end, so go to CynthiaDavis.net and stay in the loop. For those of you who don't like email, go to my Facebook page. It's called Homefront with Cynthia Davis. And make sure you click the like button. That way, you'll have a convenient way to see what we're doing and to get the word when another podcast is released. That's Homefront with Cynthia Davis on Facebook. My website is CynthiaDavis.net. That's where we keep all our good stuff. So if you want to get our newsletter and find more podcasts, go to CynthiaDavis.net. Hey, let's stay in touch. Okay, now that you got a drink of water and a chance to think for a minute, I just want to thank you for joining us tonight. This is Kurt Barr, representative from the former District 19. You've got a new number now. What is your number? It is now the 102nd. The 102nd. So apparently the people in charge of redistricting wanted to make sure that St. Charles County wouldn't feel like we're dominating the state. But I did like 19 because it did mean that we got to be early in the procession when we went down the steps. And I know that, you know, we can handle being anybody in any office in the Capitol is in a good place. So what are your agenda items that you would like to work on next session? Well, I've been placed on the Education Committee, and I've served there for two sessions now. And I have a number of uh, education issues that have become a priority for me uh, since I've since I've been elected, uh, I've led the charge against the uh, the Common Core, uh, the adoption of Common Core in the state of Missouri, and, uh, and we we got close last year to at least require Desi to do a more thorough uh, study into the actual uh, ramifications of the implementation of Common Core and make sure that the uh, the public is made more aware of what Common Core is. Um, unfortunately, that failed on the last day of, of session. Like so many bills failed on the very last day, and so. Okay, so uh, why didn't why didn't Common Core make it to the governor's desk? I mean, did you file it late, well, the, or the, do you think? No, the the real reason is uh, myself and then Senator Lamping from St. Louis County both filed bills. He actually copied my bill, and then his bill was changed. So his bill was Senate Bill 125. Uh, he copied my House Bill 616 and made Senate Bill 125. And then in the Senate Education Committee, it was changed dramatically, and then and so and then basically it was watered down, and that was the bill that was going to move because uh, there were too many people who support the education establishment who said my bill was too extreme, and so uh, Senate Bill 125 had a few amendments that were bad amendments added to the bill. Uh, I have. I'm of the opinion that it was added to kill the bill, but they're added to the bill. So when it got to the House, it took a while, unfortunately, to get it through the House, take those bad amendments off, and send it back to the Senate. Unfortunately for this piece of legislation, uh, the Senator Lamping was one of the few senators standing strong against the bonding bill. And thus, 
all of the legislation on the last day that had Lamping's name on it uh, did not pass. And so for his stance on other uh, important issues, he had to sacrifice all his other uh, legislation. And so so that's why that bill died on the last day. Okay. Well, what – tell me, what's any way a bill can be too extreme that tells the federal government – to leave us alone, and we're not going to adopt your standards. I mean, is there nobody in Missouri who's smart enough to know how to educate our children without us having to look to Washington, D.C.? Well, one would think so, but from what I've heard from Desi, it seems like they need uh, an outside agency to tell them what high standards are, that they can't come up with a good set of standards on their own, which I thought that was their whole point for existence, but I guess I was wrong. And with the Republicans in control, would you not think that they should be able to send a message to the bureaucrats that were in charge? We've got supermajorities in both the House and Senate, and now it's time for us to actually roll up our sleeves and do business. I mean, the people of Missouri put a supermajority in place, and why not true, go ahead that, and? That goes back to my my observation at the very beginning of the show of one of the things that surprised me. Uh, one was how sometimes I could agree with a liberal, and the other was how, or how a liberal would agree with me, I should say. But the other was how there'll be times when I would disagree with my own party, and just because we have a supermajority doesn't mean we have a supermajority of like-minded. People. We simply have a supermajority of uh, registered Republicans. Perhaps the strongest uh, block within the uh, within the legislature, and there, there's a number of different divides. They obviously have the the conservative, liberal, or the Republican Democrat divides. We also have in Missouri a very distinct rural and urban divide, and then another very distinct divide that you have is those who support the education establishment the status quo and those who want some form of reform because the status quo isn't working. And that group of, of those supporting the education establishment, is you have a, a large number of Republicans who fall within that group. And so if DESE or the school administrators say a bill is bad, then there's a group of people who say this bill is bad and they don't and they stop you know, thinking about the bill after that. Um, okay. They simply march so, to the tune of the education establishment. You're on both the Children and Families Committee and the Education Committee? Yes. That was special because those used to always meet at the same time, so people had to pick one or the other. So I'm happy for you because that's where you can make a difference in people's families and or get government out of people's families. One thing that we believe, I'm sure you and I both, is that parents are the best educator for their children. And even if you outsource it to another institution, that does not relieve you of your responsibility to make sure your children are educated. So I've outsourced the education of my children before. I know you don't, but that's good. I'm proud of all of us. (laughs) The point is that we all still bear responsibility. The schools only have those children till they turn 18, and then you get them the rest of your life. So if they turn into utter failures or if they're messed up because their worldview is skewed and they think homosexuality is good and they think promiscuity is normal and they think that we're supposed to be acting like animals because, after all, we're apes from the apes. We evolved from animal and plant and uh, all the other living sources, pond scum, whatever you want to make up. So the children... Anyway, in your old age, they're the ones who are going to be taking care of you. And so you and I, I think, understand, as many good family people do, that it still is up to us to contain them, correct them, teach them. And if somebody is messing up their minds, it still comes back to us. And 
the country was made for moral and decent people. And if we don't have anybody infusing morals into the next generation, it's no wonder that the culture is going awry and the more awry it goes. And you probably discovered this also when I was on Children and Families is many of the bills were designed to make up for the lack in the home. And when I became the chairman of the committee, they had named it Family Services. And job number one for me was to change the name back to Children and Families. It's okay for us to talk about children and families, but when you call it Family Services, you you begin with a presumption of governmental intervention. And the more government gets bigger, the less it allows us to flourish and make our own decisions with our own autonomy. So are you on the budget committee as well? I am not, no. But you were last session? I was on an appropriation committee my first uh, two years, but I'm uh, no longer on that committee. So what is going on with the Missouri budget since you're such a financial expert? (laughs) When I got elected, it was $18 billion, and what are we up to now? We are now at $24 billion, just shy of $25 billion. And our budget is broken up into three chunks of roughly $8 billion apiece. Uh, $8 billion comes from the federal government. Uh, mostly that's Medicaid uh, dollars, uh, other uh, social services dollars, and uh, road dollars. Then we get about $8 billion that is dedicated funds. That's our fuel tax that goes only to the roads. That's the... Uh, um, hunting tags that goes only to conservation uh, and and those other fees that are dedicated to a certain uh, purpose. And then we have about $8 billion that's what we call the general revenue, and that's our corporate income tax, our, our sales tax, our, our personal income tax. Um, and so that's, you know, so really when we're debating the budget, it's that last third that we have any discretion over as, as a state uh, when we, when we uh, form our budget. And are you pretty pleased? I, let me say this much. A budget is a statement of priorities. And I have a friend who was deeply involved with the budget process in the Pennsylvania legislature. And he explained to me what he saw as a staff person there is both the Republicans and the Democrats spend about the same amount of money. The difference is where they spend it. The Democrats tend to want to spend it more on welfare programs, and the Republicans tend to want to spend it more on tax benefits to businesses. So what's your, what have you observed? Well, there's certainly uh, a, a good element of truth to that. Um, I have noticed that, you know, whether it be Republican or Democrat, if there is extra money in the budget – um, the idea of, of just saying, oh, let's not spend it doesn't really come up. There's always some group that wants more money within their budget. And different have different champions. Some of them are Republican and some of them are Democrat. So it is it, you almost have to have a recession. You almost have to have a reduction in overall tax revenue in order to have a reduction in expenditures. That even among Republicans, if you didn't have external uh, motivation to cut the budget, I'm not sure that we would necessarily cut it. But we in Missouri are at least responsible enough and uh, fiscally conservative enough to not spend more than we have. And so these last several years of, of, um, of a recession that we've had, of, of, uh, of Obama recovery, we've been able to uh, scale down the, the budget to the point where, while it's been painful to some of the agencies, it has been beneficial to the fact that we are reorganizing and and finding efficiencies. The uh, Missouri Department of Transportation had a huge budget cut two years ago, which, you know, had, as, as a silver lining, uh, required them to reorganize, which they had uh, MoDOT sheds every 40 miles you know, these different little depots for, for tools and stuff every 40 miles because that was the distance that a mule-drawn cart could go in one day. Well, it's been a long time since our road department needed to rely on mule 
driven carts. Um, and so we we simply reduced the number of facilities that MoDOT maintained, reducing the, the expenditures that we were, were paying. And each of these facilities had to have at least one person M. And so you had all this staff, all this capital investment for, uh, you know, for 1920s, tech, or actually, you know, 1890s technology. Um, we don't, you know, a, a MoDOT truck can go across, clear across the state in one day. We don't need to have, you know, you know, the distance of a mule-drawn cart to have to know where we should put a, a, a diesel or, or gas-powered truck. So You're things right. like and that have been, have been essential. And people, of course, in our county cannot complain about road projects because there are orange barrels everywhere. <laughs> They're doing construction. If, if there's any budget cut, we're sure not feeling it. But going back to the question of the original um the budget i will tell you i'm proud of you holding the line but you are so right when you say that they're never going to really they're going to spend up to what they take in and that's true in every level of government whether you're on a school board or local government or the national government well they take in they spend more than they take in but you know, I spent eight and a half years in municipal government before I went to the legislature, and we were there during the windfall. Oh, it was fun. We Every year we had more and more money than we'd ever had the year before and more than the city had ever had in the entire history of the city. So what did we do? I say we because I was on the governing board, but I didn't vote for most of these items. But it was spent. It was some of it was spent on, most of it was spent on recreational projects and fun things. And as a result, we got brass plaques all over the city with my name on it. <laughs> and the other aldermen, you know, thanks to us for putting this up and here's our brass plaque. And it, it really, you know, meant we were at all the, we had a lot of ribbon cuttings and the government grew bigger. There's a plan for the city of O'Fallon to now build more stuff. So where they're getting the money, they're going to ask the voters to approve of a new bond issue. But you know what? There's a point where the people have to ask their elected officials before they get elected. When you have a candidate running for something, that's the time to say, by the way, instead of looking at the postcard and judging the candidate by the haircut or by how many friends he has or how much money he has, we need to start asking, yeah, but what is your philosophy on public funding? What is your philosophy on taxation? What is your philosophy on the role of government? So let me ask you, have you done anything or seen anything past this year that actually limits government? Well... I know we've had a few small bills that were geared that way. I actually had uh, one bill that I thought was a, a great, at least, check and balance on on government in response to the whole Department of Revenue scandal that we had, where the Department of Revenue was was ignoring the law and um, you know uh, sending private information to. Uh, to the federal government in compliance with the Real ID Act, as well as uh, sending information about our concealed carry permits to the federal government, I uh, took a look at the Constitution and saw how you know uh, elected officials have the ability to be impeached. But then the Constitution says that that pursuant to law, other state officials can be removed from office. And so I drafted up legislation that would create an impeachment-like process to get rid of department heads who violate the law, as the Department of Revenue had done. Um, it did not uh, go very far, partly because it was a uh, controversial idea, the, the idea of uh, the, the legislature actually holding the executive uh, accountable for uh, n not enforcing legislation or you know, violating our, our statutes seemed uh, kind of a novel concept. But, you know, that's that's one area where, you know, we can hold uh, the, you know, have a check more strong checks and balance, make sure the legislature holds the executive accountable that they follow the laws. Uh, but we did have the, the two bills that I mentioned earlier that the governor had vetoed, the uh, the tax cut bill, 
uh, House Bill 253 is at least one area where we're saying, you know what, we're going to reduce the taxes on corporations. We're going to reduce the taxes on individuals. We're going to let people keep more of their own money. And by doing that, you're giving people more freedom because the more money they have in their pocket, the more choices they can make with their own resources unless they have to rely on the government. And so that's one aspect. And then the uh, the Firearm Protection Act, uh, the House Bill 436, which was uh, by uh, sponsored by Representative Doug Thunderberg, who, are, who is you know our neighbor. Uh, his district is uh, just east of of mine, and I do believe he's your uh, your state rep now, if I remember how the lines are drawn. Um, but that bill, uh, it says in first part that that the um, Laws, the federal laws that violate the Second Amendment won't be enforced in the state of Missouri. Uh, it also talks about how uh, if you have a, a concealed carry endorsement, that local municipal laws banning open carry uh, don't apply to you. Um, it also, um, you know, it also cl- clarifies a few other uh, freedoms under the the auspices of the Second Amendment to make sure that that your gun ownership and your ability to protect yourself are clearly defined and, and clearly protected. And so those are at least two bills where we're trying to roll back uh, government, we're trying to roll back uh, regulation and trying to, to provide more freedom. Unfortunately, those are two bills that the government vetoed. Um, if I went through the entire list of legislation that was passed, I'm sure I can find a few more bills, but it's easier to find bills that grew government than it is to find bills that shrunk government. That's right. And the old expression is every budget line item has a friend. And the idea of canceling a budget line item, you will bring out the wrath of all the people who've become dependent on it. It's not that easy. And unfortunately, your bureaucratic restriction bill failed because everybody is trying to play nice. I hope they all are happy. I keep reminding myself and them, look, folks, you were not elected to be Miss Congeniality. You were elected to do what's right. And I know that I don't know if you saw a prescription registry come up, but when I was there, and you may have, there was an effort to put all the create a database where the state would know what kind of prescription drugs there'd be cohesion or collusion if you everybody would know uh-huh. if you're taking a, a certain addictive drug Do, did that ever come up while you were there that yeah that was up this year it died um, but it didn't come up it, it um. comes up every year and there was a moment when it came up and I hadn't really we hadn't debated it very deeply. It was one of the earlier years. And I thought about my brother, who is addicted to prescription drugs, as everybody probably has some family member who has become addicted. It's very common. And as much as I would love to have had a database so that somebody would make sure that doesn't happen anymore, I turned around to the group of guys sitting behind me and this is actually many decisions are made on the floor after they ring the bell and open the board <laughs> and, and my uh, advisor colleague behind me said it's just too much big brother and I needed to hear him say it right then because it became at that point a moral issue do we really want that much big brother because if we do, there's no limit to how big brother can get, and, and we're all going to be in trouble. So I, I really needed that, as we all need to encourage each other and remind each other that we're either going to grow government bigger, more intrusive, and more expensive, or we're going to shrink it back down to its proper size. And this is where it comes in handy having a set of principles that we cling to and adhere to. And after that, it made decision-making easy for me because I just measured every bill by, is it growing government bigger or smaller? And how do you make decisions? Well, I have what I call my my three Cs. My my first is um, the Constitution. 
is it a constitutional bill or not. If it violates our, our state constitution, our federal constitution, then I'm opposed to it. Uh, the second is conscience. Is it a moral or immoral uh, bill? Um, you know, some things can be constitutional, but they may not be right. Um, the third uh, C that I have is uh, constituency, is how does my district feel about this legislation? How does it affect uh, the, the people that I, I represent? And so it has to be constitutional. It has to be, uh, you know, it can't go against my, my conscience. And it also needs to be you know, good for my constituency. And I do it in, in that order. Um, and that's the, you know, usually, uh, it, usually it's, it's easy to determine those things. Sometimes you have to really understand the, not only the over, the uh, expressed intent, but you have to go deeper into the, the weeds of legislation to see what it, how it actually affects people to know uh, whether or not it's a, it's a good or bad bill. Now, sometimes a you know, simple change could have major ramifications, and you may not be aware of, of those ramifications if it's a bill dealing with, uh, you know, with agriculture. You know, it may seem simple, but it may actually greatly impact uh, private property ownership. And so you have to be able to understand the, the ramifications of, of the details of the legislation. But, but those are the, what I call my three C's to determine, uh, you know, how do you uh, vote yay or nay on a bill. Well, I'm happy that you're here, and I appreciate you giving up some time to, on your wife's birthday to join us tonight and enlighten us. So is there I, – I, when I was there, I wrote a newsletter. I still write a newsletter, and I wonder, do you have anything you want to tell our listeners about your newsletter or what you're doing or just to wrap up well, one I, thing you want them to remember about you? Sure, I do write a newsletter. Uh, I'm pretty good at writing it during session when uh, legislation is occurring. Uh, during the summer, I get busy with uh, running my business and raising my kids that I don't do a very good job uh, writing you know, during the, during the interim. Uh, but you can go to my house website. Uh, so you just go to house.mo.gov, and then you can you know, find myself as well as all the other legislators. And there's a tab, a, a button on my page for uh, um, getting access to my or getting onto my uh, newsletter email list, and so I I can add you to my newsletter that way. Um, but yeah, most of the information as far as how to contact me is is on that that house website. So just house.mo.gov will get you to the the House of Representatives website, and then it's easy to find uh, myself and all the other legislators on that website. Nice. Well, we sure do appreciate you coming on tonight and hope that you have a wonderful rest of your evening. I understand you're on your way to another project. So thank you for coming on and we'll hope you'll come back. Do you want to come back again sometime? Well, I've always loved talking to you. Yeah. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Kurt. Thank you. All right. This has been another edition of Homefront on Missouri Grassroots Radio. I'm Cynthia Davis and hope you enjoyed our program. Please join us next week when we offer another infusion of truth, honesty, and solutions that will grow people bigger and shrink government smaller. Thank you for joining us. See you next week. Give it up.